stand. Let's go before the Lord in the Word tonight. Matthew chapter 13. Matthew 13 and verse 1. Had a great time this morning, Kingdom Sunday, Super Church, and uh, I'm excited about what God is doing in our children. And uh, you need to understand that this is more than just Sunday school. It's more than just them coming to church and hearing a little Bible lesson or watching us or watching them rather make fools of themselves and being funny and acting like big kids. This is a place of safety. This is an ark of safety. And we've got kids that are of different ethnicities who are dealing with racist comments at school. They're dealing with issues. It's bothersome. It's not godly. It's not godly. We understand that. Racist people are not going to make it to heaven. Okay? You know that. I know that. Racism doesn't have any place in the kingdom. And I thank God that it's not here. Thank God we don't have to deal with that. When they come into this house, when they come into the church, they need to feel the love of God. They don't need to worry about the color of their skin. They don't need to worry about any of that. In fact, they ought to feel more welcomed. Our kids ought to feel more welcomed here than they feel anywhere else in the world. Because this is the culture of the kingdom. It's the culture of the kingdom. In Jesus' name. Jesus' name. So be in prayer for our Sunday school kids. Let's watch God work in their lives. Matthew 13 and verse 1. The same day went Jesus out of the house and sat by the seaside. And great multitudes were gathered together unto him, so that he went into a ship and sat. And the whole multitude stood on the shore. And he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. And when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, fowls came and devoured them up. Some fell upon the stony places where they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprung up because they had no deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched because they had no root. They withered away. Some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. But other fell into good ground, brought forth fruit, some in hundredfold some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. had a dream a few days ago, maybe a week and a half ago, and this is a message I preached in 2016, but since I had that dream, God's not been letting me get away from this past couple of days especially and this afternoon as I was praying seeking his will for tonight this is what he said to preach and so we're going to preach it tonight and uh, believe me when I say I studied back over it I went back through it fine tuned some things 
We're going to talk about dry wells tonight. Dry wells. Let's put our Bibles down. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. God, we love you. And we thank you for everything you've done. God, I thank you for what you're doing. God, I want your will to be accomplished in us. I want your will to be accomplished through us. God, I want your your will to be done in this place. God, I pray for each and every individual who is here tonight under the sound of my voice. I pray, God, that you would take us where you desire us to go. God, that your will would be done through us. Not just in us, not just in our families, but through us and through our families. In the name of Jesus. God, we want your will to be accomplished in Jesus' name. Somebody say amen. Amen. You can be seated tonight. Dry wells. I understand tonight that Matthew 13 is not an unfamiliar portion of your Bible, neither is it unfamiliar to this church. Uh, It's not like Obadiah, where hardly anybody ever preaches from Obadiah. But you hear plenty preach from Matthew 13. You've heard preaching about the sower. You understand that the sower is at times God sowing into your spirit through his word, through revelation, through prayer. It is at other times the man of God who is preaching and teaching and casting vision or casting seeds into your life. You've heard preaching about the sower. You've heard preaching about the seed. You know it's the word of God. It's the spreading of the gospel. It's the spreading of the death, the burial, the resurrection. It's sharing about repentance and baptism in Jesus' name. The infilling of the Holy Ghost. You've heard preaching about the seed. You've heard preaching about the soil. You understand that there's good soil, that there is bad soil. You've heard how the birds plucked up some of the seed that was on the wayside. You've heard how some fell on the stony ground, the wayside, uh, the thorny soil, how some fell on good soil and produced abundantly. The fact of the matter is that to the human eye, more seed seems to be picked off. It seems to be choked out or come to naught more than there is seed that produces. And so the sower can find himself frustrated. The sower can find himself discombobulated. The sower can act or Feel as Jesus felt as he walks into the temple with a cat of nine tails, a whip that he had spent time making himself in his fury and in his anger, in his contempt, and walks in and throws over the money changing tables and drives out the sellers in the sanctuary and says, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. You've taken and you've manipulated and you've done this and you've done that. Where the places where seeds should be being sown, you've made it into something that it was never designed to be. We can feel that way at times. We can think that way at times. We can respond and react that way at times. We can feel like Isaiah wrote in chapter 41, 
verse 17. When the poor and needy seek water, and there is none, and their tongue faileth for thirst, I, the Lord, will hear them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. I will open rivers and high places and and fountains in the midst of the valleys. I will make the wilderness a pool of water and the dry land springs of water. But we don't always feel that way. More times than not, we feel like the high place that's got no open river or the valley in which there is no fountain. The poor and the needy seeking water and not finding any. You see, God is not looking for a church or a people. He's not looking for a movement. He's not looking for a leader that could take credit for and put his hand upon what is being done. He's not looking for souls that that man wants to take credit for. God is looking for ways to show forth His glory. He's looking for ways to show forth His dominion. He's looking for ways to show forth His power. He's looking for opportunities in which He can move, in which He can show up, in which He can show out. But so often times we feel the weight of a dry well. We feel the weight of the sower with his bag of seed who has gone forth to sow and he's spent time and he's spent money buying seed. He's spent time working the field. He's spent time doing this and spent time doing that. We feel oftentimes like the father who's prepared the marriage supper and he goes out and he sends invitations. And the invitations come back with excuses. Well, I've purchased a field. Or I've been appointed to a new position. I've, I've been newly wed. And I, I just can't get away. I just can't come. I just can't go. I just can't do. I'm too busy to come to church. I know I need to, but I've got other things that I have to do. And so the sower gets bogged down and frustrated with the the lack of response to his efforts in the field. And so the father would look at his servants and he would say, you know what? There's a meal prepared. There's a feast ready to be served. There is occasion. And so since those who were invited will not come, then I want you to go out into the highways. I want you to go out into the byways. I want you to go out into the hedges. We tried the good soil. We tried those that that should know. We tried those that that ought to know they need to be in church. They've been blessed. The the soil looks good. 
But because they wouldn't respond, because they didn't want to come, then the, the father said, you know what? We didn't go to all of this trouble. We didn't put in all of this work for nothing. I don't want it to be wasted. And so I want you to, to, to shift your focus from those that, that should have, that those that, that could have, those that had the means to. And I want you to then go out into the highways. I want you to get off the beaten path. I want you to go into the byways. I want you to get off of the places that are clean. I want you to get down in the hedges where the burglar and the vagabond and those that have no business coming, I want you to get down there and I want you to invite those people that have no business being here, that don't have clothes to be here, that don't have a position to be here. I want you to find those that are messed up. I want you to find those that are rotten. I want you to find those that have no business and I want you to compel them God's looking for opportunities to show up he's looking for opportunities to show out he's looking to wait for ways to show forth his glory he said I'll plant in the wilderness the cedar trees the myrtle the oil tree set in the desert the fir tree the pine the box tree together that they may see and know and consider and understand together that the hand of the Lord hath done this and the Holy One of Israel hath created it. I want when they look, almost as if he's giving the trees themselves personality as well as shedding light on the thoughts of those that are looking out in this wilderness and they're seeing trees planted in places where they should not have been planted that they're thriving in positions and, and in locations where they should not have thrived and they should not have gone and they should not have been planted but there they are and they've, they've grown up together. He said, I want when they look at that place that they know that those trees did not get there on their own. I want them to look at them and they don't see the man who was laying in a highway, the the man or the woman who was laying in the byway, the man or woman that was laying in a hedge or laying in a gutter. But when they get into the kingdom of God, I want them to see them with the raiment of the Father. I know when he found me, I didn't have garments fit enough to come to a marriage feast. But he said, don't worry about your garments. But there's a garment that's been fit for you. There's a calling. There's a name that once applied to you will change the way you look. It will change the way you act. But I need a sower. I need a preacher. I need a saint of God that can overlook the dry well. God is looking for opportunities. In Numbers chapter 21, verse 1, it says, And when King Arad the Canaanite, which dwelt in the south, heard tell that Israel came by the way of the spies, then he fought against Israel and took some of them prisoners. Verse 3, the Lord hearkened to the voice of Israel 
and delivered up the Canaanites. And they utterly destroyed them and their cities. And he called the name of the place Kormah, which means slaughter and destruction. Another translation of the word means asylum, which in its root definition is a a retreat, a shelter for people that have mental problems. That God so confounded their enemy that it changed the name of that location. And they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to compass the land of Edom. And the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. Even though they had experienced military victory like none other. Even though when the enemy came out and God allowed them to have prisoners taken away, it stirred something in the heart of those men. It stirred something in the heart of those women of Israel. And they began to pray. And they began to cry out to God. And they said, God, we're in a wilderness. God, we've been attacked. And God, we've got some prisoners taken. But God hearkened to the voice of Israel. And he said, you know what? I didn't design you. I didn't call you out so you could be run over. I did not call you out so you could live defeated I did not call you out so you could live depressed and so he hearkened to the voice of Israel and they utterly destroyed the Canaanites they destroyed their city to the point where they changed the name to mean slaughter and destruction and on the back of military victory on the back of spiritual ecstasy Israel became discouraged because of the way I've come to preach to somebody tonight that you know God's delivered you you know God has slain giants for you you know that God has given you victory but sometimes the way becomes discouraging and the people spake against God and against Moses wherefore have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness for there is no bread neither is there any water and our soul loatheth this light bread you see facing difficulty typically includes temptation to place blame well it's his fault it's her fault Moses it's your fault you're the one that had the big idea You're the one who saw the burning bush. Oh, he made the place you stand in holy ground. Well, guess what, Moses? While you were standing on holy ground, I was standing in a mud pit. Don't talk to me about God speaking. I was in a mud pit with the taskmaster's whip on my back. I haven't had the spiritual encounter that you've had, Moses. And so God's agent, God's man, was viewed by the people as the responsible party for the challenge of the journey. You can read verses 6 through verse 20. God sends fiery serpents among the people, bite the people, people die. 
Moses creates a brazen serpent. They lift it up. Lift up your eyes, so on and so forth. They had experienced military victory. But the discouragement of the way, the hardness of the way caused them to fall into hardness of heart. Grumbling, complaining, rebellion. I'm not saying this is what happened to you. I'm not saying this is what's going on with us. I'm telling you what what happened to Israel. If it applies to you, so be it. They fell into hardness of heart. They fell into rebellion. Moses saying, hey, you got to look up. 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 You can read the rest of that chapter. And it goes about three or four verses. And gives the account of the brazen serpent and, and then it goes on into telling us that they would remove and then they would plant and they would remove and then they would settle down they'd get up, they'd move and they'd settle again and all the while they're getting closer and closer and closer to the promised land but then they get to the wilderness of Moab and God's done things for them. And, in fact, he does things that can be compared to what he did at the Red Sea. And there are streams and there are brooks. And in verse 16 it says, And from thence they went to Beer, that is the well whereof the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Gather the people together. They're thirsty. Gather them together, and I will give them water. And then Israel sang this song. Spring up, O well, sing ye to it. The princes dig the well. The nobles of the people dig. The well, by the direction of the lawgiver with their staves. From that wilderness, then they go on. And in chapter 21, the latter part of chapter 21, is an account of all the places where they camp and they move. They camp and they move. They camp and they move. But in the midst of all of that, he drops just a few lines where he said that this is the place where they were thirsty. They've been drinking water out of a rock. So, Brother Craig, why was that not good enough? Now we understand that the rock followed them, and that rock was Christ, so on and so forth. But why, as they're getting closer to the promised land, would he say, okay, now it's time for a transition between the water from a rock and a well that you dig? It's still a supernatural occurrence. They're standing in the wilderness, and God said, okay, gather them together. I'm going to give them water. 
But there's a transition that happens right before they go into the promised land. And this is numbers. Moses hasn't reiterated the law to them yet. But they're standing there in this wilderness. And Moses is standing there. And he's got his staff in his hand. He's got his rod in his hand. And he starts giving them direction. This is what God's saying. And he looks at the leadership. He looks at the princes. He looks at the nobles. And they're all standing around there. And they're standing on sandy soil. And he said, okay, this is what God wants you to do. I want you to take that staff in your hand. I want you to take the rod in your hand. You need to understand nobles. You need to understand princes. That when he found me, I was on the plains of Sinai at the base of that mountain. And all I had was my father-in-law's sheep and a rod in my hand. And when he found me, he said, throw the rod on the ground and then pick it up. It became a serpent and I picked it up and it became a rod again. But now it's time for you to take the rod that's in your hand. Now it's time for you to have what you have in your hand. And it's time for you to start doing what God is calling you to do with what you have. We know how when they get ready to cross over the Jordan River that the manna stops falling from the sky. But we don't. We forget that all of a sudden the water is no longer flowing from the rock. But now he's saying, I want you to take the end of your rod and I want you to start popping it on the ground. I want you to start digging in that ground. I want you to start popping in that sand. And every time they would do it, all of a sudden that ground begins to show forth what God was providing them. They were in a dry place. They were in a place where they were thirsty. But God said, if you'll take what you've got in your hand, I'll give you water. I want to give you some water. But I need you to understand that it's not just for Moses. It's not just for Aaron. It's a transition. It's being made the miraculous the natural supply there's waters that are hidden underneath waters that are sitting up to the surface God's saying okay I know you're thirsty I know you think it's dry but just underneath your feet there's more water than you can imagine So they start pushing their rods down into the ground. In this list of their camp spots, he stops and gives this little snippet. They start pounding the ground. And they start singing. They start worshiping. Saying, spring up. Oh, well, spring up. Oh, well, sing ye unto it. Water starts flowing out from underneath the ground that they thought was dry. It starts flowing enough to water millions of people with their cattle, with their sheep. In a place that they thought was dry. 
Moses, I want you to, to smite the rock again. That's how it's always happened. Or Moses, maybe you should speak to the rock. Expecting God to work that way. But as Moses had smote the rock, they began to strike the earth with their staves. It's a sign that God would cause the water to flow out of the earth everywhere they smote it. As he had done before for Moses out of the rock, God begins to cause water to spring They're getting close to the promised land. There's a transition from just Moses taking part in the miraculous. Moses, you've been initiating it with your rod. But now we begin to see the ministry of the saints as the ministry of the saints, as the saints of God, as the leaders begin to move in the will and the ways of God, as the leaders begin to follow the directive that God has laid out. He said, I know that you've seen me smite the rock before. I know you've watched. You've heard stories. You've seen it with your own eyes. What God has done with just the rod And it's more than the rod. It's what he's done with obedience. With what I had in my hand. God's not calling you to be a spiritual guru. But God's calling you to take what's in your hand. You've got the same thing in your hand that the man of God has in his hand. And if you'll use it in conjunction with the man of God. And with the word of God. With the directive of God. You can see the miraculous just like I've seen it. Moses, we're used to you throwing your rod on the ground and it becoming a serpent. We're used to Aaron doing it. We're used to seeing those things. We're used to you taking your rod and smiting the ground. And out of the dust comes flies and lice and so on and so forth. We're used to you touching the water of the Nile with your rod and the water turning to blood and all the fish and the animals dying and floating to the surface. We're used to you stretching your rod out over the desert, frogs, so on and so on. Moses, we're used to you stretching your rod out over a Red Sea and watching the miracles. But now, you're asking me? Moses, we're used to you smiting the rock with your rod. We're used to those things. That we're, we're used to seeing you do it. We're used to seeing you minister. And that's why we're asking other people to, to be opening service and, and doing announcements or doing this and doing that and, and, and do it because God's not just interested in the man of God or, or the woman of God experiencing it all on my own. That's not what God's called me to do. But God has called me to help pull the wool off of your eyes so you can understand, hey, I can be used by God too. I can feel the unction of the Holy Ghost like pastor feels it. I'm going to operate in his anointing under the umbrella of apostolic authority. And I can watch God take dry places and make water flow again. 
not just again, I can watch God use the dry places and allow water to flow where water's never flowed before. You can take part in the miraculous. Everybody ought to be involved in the work of the Lord. There is a laboratory. It's called the National Energy Technology Laboratory. They conducted a study of a certain type of natural gas or oil well. It's called a stripper well. And they operate at a very low rate of production, less than 10 barrels of oil per day. Less than 60,000 cubic feet of gas per day. However, despite their small output, these oil and gas wells make a significant contribution to the nation's energy supply. They are the lifeblood of thousands of small, independent oil and gas operating companies. 80% of the roughly 500 thousand producing oil wells in the United States are classified as this type of well. But despite their small individual volume, they add up. They produce in aggregate nearly one million barrels of oil collectively per day. Per day, one million barrels of oil. That's almost 19% of domestic oil production. But when these wells become aged, or when the equipment becomes aged, because of the lack of production, some oil companies will look at those wells, and they will say, you know what, it will cost more to retrofit these wells to bring them up to today's standards than they will ever produce or than they are ever going to be worth. And so instead of retrofitting with upgraded equipment, they simply abandon the well. Research that produces technology to help operators revive America's declining oil fields They help bolster the nation's security by making it less dependent on foreign foreign oil imports. They look at these and they say, ah, you know what, they're marginal, let's just shut them down. They're costing us more than they're making us. You know, that church van costs more than it makes us. You know, kingdom business is, is about souls. But the kingdom also requires finance. And so if you were to look at a church van that is a 12-passenger, and you were to look if you had not only an adult driver but also an adult helper, that two of the 12 are tithe-giving passengers. That's not great odds in the business world. Less than 20%. And so if we were looking from a worldly standpoint, we would say, you know what, that van costs us 
more than it makes us. Those kids that come, you know, they, they, they're not giving yet. They're not doing this. They're not doing that. And so it's marginal at best. It's a dry well. I've heard friends of mine say, you know what? Uh, Messages are being uploaded to a podcast now. You know what? If you guys get offended, you don't have me come preach for you anyway. You can suck it up. I've had friends say, you know what? I understand what they're doing with van routes and so on and so forth, but van routes don't pay the bills. And they're not bad people. They're a little short-sighted. You know what? If we operated that way, we wouldn't be operating in faith. Because analysis is not, does not compute with faith, and faith is not native to uh, analysis, so on and so forth. And so we understand, you know, you know what, those wells are just... Uh, They're marginal. So let's abandon the well. Once a marginal field is abandoned, the oil that remains behind is lost forever. Imagine that the cost to retrofit or upgrade to newer equipment is already putting it over the margin of of profit. It's, it's going to be operating in the red for years. Imagine with the same line of thinking that once that well is abandoned and the walls start caving in, now it's not just a matter of upgrading the equipment. Now it's a matter of redrilling that well. And it will be abandoned forever. And the oil that's there will be lost forever. Because the cost of redrilling, redrilling a plugged well Maybe as much or more than drilling a new well. From the years 1994 to 2003, in the United States, about 143,000 marginal oil wells were plugged and abandoned in the United States, representing more than 110 million barrels of crude oil that was still in the ground. You can do the math because the market fluctuates. I didn't do the math. Figure out the price of a barrel of oil. 110 million barrels of oil that was still in the ground. It's just marginal. And so, taking all that into account, there's a, a major United States oil company that hired an accomplished geologist to begin re-examining oil wells that had played out, they were no longer producing. Based on his calculation and his recommendation, the company would either re-drill a now dry well or they would pass by it to remain dormant. After about three years, this geologist had a 100% success rate 
Every time he told them to redrill a well, he would tell them the depth and they would hit oil. It was after he had compiled this rather amazing record that his employer, his boss, calls him into the corporate office for a meeting. He walks in thinking, you know what, I'm getting ready to get some some new stripes. I'm going to get another star to add to my vest, another trophy to add to my collection. You would think that with a 100% success rate that that would be what he was walking in with. He's thinking, you know what, I'm about to get a raise. I've talked to some men. I've had some customers that worked for gas and oil producers. And they told me, they said, you know what? I'm the only guy in town that when I drive by the gas station and the gas prices are going up, I'm the only guy smiling. And so he walks into the corporate office for this meeting. 100% success rate. But to his surprise, Although they did tell him how much they appreciated what he was doing, he was also informed, Sir, you're costing this company too much money. In fact, you're costing us big money. His employer explained it like this. Whereas you have achieved a 100% success record, we feel that there are at least some wells that were marginal in your mind that you passed over because they were more risky than others. This is where you're costing us money. If we were to redrill some of these wells, no doubt some, perhaps most, would come up dry and would seem to be a waste of time and money. However, somewhere and sometime we would hit oil and possibly we would hit a gusher. We have found in our decades of experience. See what they did there? You've been doing this for three years. We've been doing this for decades. We have found in our decades of experience that just one gusher has the ability to not only pay for a number of dry wells, but has the power to make our company a vast amount of money besides. So simply put, we want you to take more chances. Somewhere along these lines, chances will more than pay for themselves. Time and more Daring drilling proved the company correct. We need a revelation tonight. I know there are some things that God wants me to do, but I've passed by because I just don't know if it'll be worth it. I've passed by that prayer life that God's calling me to. I've passed by that ministry of evangelism that God's called me to because I just don't know if the payout is going to be worth the price. I passed by that soul in the highway. I passed by that soul in the byway. I passed by that soul in the hedge because I know that God wants them. I know I should reach them, but I just don't know if the soul, if the payout is worth the price. But we serve a God who's calling us into the corporate boardroom today. And he's saying, hey, I know your success rate has been pretty good. But if you would have just not passed by that one. Four types of soil. Matthew 13. 
three of the four produced no lasting significant fruit. Seventy-five percent. Does that give me license to stop sowing? No. I've been walking the same old road for miles and miles. And I've been hearing the same old voice tell the same old lie. I've been trying to fill the same old voids inside. But there's a better life. There's a better life. I've walked by that well so many times. I know the diameter of the hole. I know the, the dimensions of the platform. I know all of that. I know what, that there could be oil down in there. When I walk by that, that gentleman, when I walk by that lady at Walmart, when I walk by them at Kroger, and I bump into them, and they've got the tattoos, and they've got the smell, and they've got the look, and they've got all of the walk. They've got the talk. They've got all all of that. But what you and I need to understand is we've got a rod in our hand and we have the ability to look at a dry place. We've got the ability to look at a dry well and start prodding and start poking and start nudging and start digging. Well, we got to get beneath the surface. we got to get beneath the surface. I know on the surface it looks hopeless. I know on the surface the preaching doesn't make sense. I know that the 75% of the soil says it's not going to last. That the birds are going to come pluck it up. But what I need a revelation of is that the last 25% will produce 30-fold. It will produce 60-fold. It will produce 100-fold. When you walk by that individual that you think is too far gone, sow your seed anyway because you don't know if that one individual just might be the gusher. I'm far too trim. I'm far too prim. I'm far too proper in my evangelism, in my outreach. I'm far too proper in my witness. Hey, come to church. As if I'm saying, excuse me after a sneeze. Hush, please come. You could stumble upon Gusher. Sir, we're we're happy. I've taught one Bible study, Pastor, and they're still living for God. Thank God. I'm serious. Thank God. Thank God they're still living for him. You're one for one. But what if I get too scared? What if the sales side of me kicks in and it becomes more about closing ratio than opportunity? Well, 
you know, I just didn't have time, so I just marked that as no opportunity, and I'll just move on. See, in sales, there's something called a lay down. That means it's almost like they just lay their checkbook on the table, and you can tell them however much, it, it, however much you want, and they'll buy. Thank God. We're thankful for those. That's not always the way that it works, see. Sometimes it's got to get uncomfortable. Sometimes i got to sit at that table and drop the number and shut up. And you sit there for six seconds saying nothing. Because after you drop the price, Brother Isaac Stratton, the first guy to talk is the one that loses. Sir, that retractable awning will be only $9,763. It got awkward for you guys, and I'm not even trying to sell you an awning. Hey, why don't you come to church with me? Didn't that just get awkward? And you're sitting in church. at church. But what if? What if? I just said, sir, how do you feel about that? Don't ask them what they think about coming to church. How would you feel if God answered your prayer? Don't try to appeal to their rationale. You start appealing to their emotions. Sir, how would you feel if God healed you of cancer? Ma'am, how would you feel if God took care of that problem? You flip over to Mark chapter 5 and you find a man by the name of Legion. He's fine. Let him sleep. You find a guy by the name of Legion. And he's in the tombs. And it reiterates multiple times that he he was bound with chains and the chains couldn't hold him. They bound him with fetters. The fetters couldn't hold him. He's like the direct opposite of Samson. Okay? He's running naked through the tombs. They can't bind him. They can't tie him up. They can't wrap him up. They can't lock him up. They can't control him. He's under demonic power. He's taking broken pottery. He's taking knives. He's harming himself. He's doing all of these things. He's howling in the middle of the night. He's scaring the children. And Jesus... In Mark chapter 4, they're on the, on the Sea of Galilee, and there's a storm, and Jesus is, takes control of the storm. They say, what manner of man is this, that even the wind and the seas obey him? And immediately they're at the shore, and they step off of the boat, and here comes this wild man who cannot be tamed, who cannot be controlled, who cannot be ignored. And he comes running, and he falls down at the feet of Jesus, and he's, God, I want you to help me. I need you to help me. Everybody else had looked at that man and said, there is no hope. There is no way. He will never be delivered. I I bet you some of those dads said, you know what? Why don't we just sneak out there and we'll just kill him in the night. That way our kids can sleep. I'm just telling you, if there's a crazy dude running through my backyard, that would have been my thought. Locking the doors, we're barring the doors, we're barring the windows. There's no hope for this one. But immediately, 
When Jesus steps onto the shore, he comes running. We know the story well. He said, what's your name? Well, we are Le- uh, my name's Legion. We are many. So on and so forth. There was approximately 6,180-some devils in that guy. You can look through history. The word legion meant a different number, a different time. That's about what it was for that time period. If you had one, that was too many. But imagine 6,100 devils. He's a dry well. It would cost too much to rehabilitate that one. It will cost me too much to fix it. Help him through. Jesus, long story short. I'm coming to an end. I'm getting close. It's a dry well. There's no way. He's never going to do it. Why do you pick that guy up for church? Why do you teach her a Bible study? Don't you? There's, there's no. That's what they thought about Legion. Okay? It took one encounter. That what chains and ropes could not hold, what chains and ropes could not bind, the man with no chains, with no ropes, but with a heart decision, when he saw Jesus, this is the one that can help me. This is the one that can do it. He runs and falls to the feet of Jesus, and Jesus delivers him. When they come back, they find him not only clothed, but in his right mind. What they never thought was possible, God does in an instant. Well, he's just a dry well. There's no way. There's no hope. Just give up on that one. Find somebody else. All the people that should have had it together who lost swine to get him out of here. Not Legion. We'll keep him. Get Jesus out of here. Get that guy that fixed it out of here. Jesus walks back down to the boat. This guy that we only know is Legion or the one who was delivered. He's standing there at the boat, Sister Marissa. He's saying, okay, uh, Jesus... I'm going with him. It's almost written like he's got one leg over the boat. And he's holding on to the rope. And he's watching Jesus come. He's saying, hey, I already got it untied. We just got to push up. I'm going with you. And Jesus said, no, 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 buddy. This is what I need you to do. I need you to go back. Oh, man. I need you to go back. And I need you to share with somebody else. What God has done. The Bible says that that man left and went into Decapolis. What was Decapolis? Decapolis was a region of ten cities. And the Bible says that Jesus leaves. And when he comes back and he steps on the shore, there's a man by the name of Jarius who's a leader, a pillar in the community. And he said, Jesus, my daughter's at home and she's about to die. I need you to go. I need you to go heal her. But it was the same group of people that said, get out of here. We don't want you. What happened? Let me tell you what happened. The one dry well became a gusher. 
and Legion turns into an evangelist and he goes into 10 cities and he starts preaching and he starts telling them what God has done. The same situation that they had looked at and they couldn't figure out how it was going to work. But when Jesus stepped onto the shore, he said, listen, nothing's too hard. Nothing. If you want to be delivered, you can be delivered. He goes and he shares his testimony. When Jesus gets back, Jairus, while Jesus is on his way to the house of Jairus to heal his daughter, there's a woman with an issue of blood. She's had it 12 years. She's tried every doctor. She's tried every prescription. She's tried every homeopathic remedy. She's looked at all of the DIY heal yourself sites. She's done everything she can do. Her family cannot live with her. She cannot give her children hugs. She can, If she had grandchildren, she couldn't even be around her grandchildren. By the law, she's marked unclean. But when she heard, That's the guy that fixed Legion. And if he can fix that, he can fix this. And when man had labeled as a dry well, we have preached for generations about Jairus and we preached for generations about the woman with the issue of blood who said if I just touch the hem of his garment he doesn't even have to know I'm there. It's not going to be big and dramatic like it was with Legion. I don't need all of that. I just need one touch. Because of one individual who when Jesus looked at him, he said he's not too far gone. You know what we need? We need ourselves a demoniac. You know what we need? We need one individual who everybody else in town, every other church in town has said he's too far gone. She's too far gone. His brain's fried. Her brain's fried. They've done too many drugs. They've dipped too deep into sin. They've opened themselves too much. But I'm telling you what we need is a dry well and we need some tools to start digging again because I'm looking for a gusher I'm looking I know it's easy to get discouraged by the 75% but the 25% that are going to be successful are going to be gushers 30 fold 60 fold 100 fold musicians come everybody stand Why don't you make your way to the altar tonight? Psalm 107. Verse 35. He turneth the wilderness into a standing water. Dry ground to water springs. He can do it. And there he maketh the hungry to dwell. That they may prepare a city for habitation. And sow the fields and plant vineyards which may yield fruits of increase. He blesseth them also, so that they are multiplied greatly and suffereth not their cattle to decrease. God can do it. God can do it. God can do it. God can do it. I want us to take inventory of every individual we've written off. 
that's normal that's natural I'm not trying to beat you over the head with it tonight we all look at people and we say you know what they're too far gone there's no way but what if that one's a gusher I know we want to get it right. I know we want it to look right. I know we want a 100% closing ratio. I know we want every person. I know that we want every individual, every family that we teach a Bible study to to get it. But what if they don't? Am I going to stop? Am I going to stop running a van? I know that that one more. I know I had to pray extra this morning. I did it. I know it. I feel it. But what if that one? What if that one? What if that one that we think's a dry well? What if it's a gusher? What if it's a gusher? What if it's a gusher? What if it will more than compensate? For the battle.